This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. You know, I've gone into depth a few times about the comedy team of Burns and Allen, so tonight, because I've got a little time on my hands here, a few thoughts about George Burns that you might not know. We all know that one of his trademarks was his ever-present cigar. He was best friends with fellow comedian Jack Benny, who also served as best man at he and Gracie Allen's wedding. Burns loved playing jokes on Benny, almost as much as watching him laugh and pound the floor afterward. He was originally supposed to deliver the eulogy at the funeral of Jack Benny, but he was so overcome with emotion after trying it, he let someone else do it. He discovered Anne Margaret and made her his opening act in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Burns and Allen Show was inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame in 1994. And you know, until his death, he smoked as many as ten cigars a day. He and Gracie Allen continued to play single even years after they were married. Declining ratings, though, prompted George to update the act on air. He later said, We were the only couple on radio who got married because we had to. He took the name Burns from the Burns Brothers Coal Company, whose trucks he had stolen lumps of coal from when growing up to help heat the, uh, the family home. Playing the straight man to his wife, Gracie Allen, after her death, though, his retirement period, he created a new image as a remarkably active, amiable old uh, comedian. He was 80 when he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for the Sunshine Boys. That was 1975. And he was in very fragile health and couldn't attend his 100th birthday celebration in person. In the early 1940s, during the height of their popularity, Burns had a brief extramarital affair. Now, he apologized to Gracie Allen by giving her a new coffee table, and nothing more was said about it. However, years later... When Gracie was serving coffee to a friend in their living room, George overheard her say, You know, I wish George would have another affair. I really need a new coffee table. According to Philly, uh, Phyllis Diller's autobiography, Like a Lampshade in a Whorehouse, in the late 1960s, Broadway producer David Merrick approached Burns with the idea of him playing Horace Vandergelder in Hello, Dolly, with his good friend Jack Benny in drag as Dolly Levi. Well, the intention was to turn Broadway on its ear and revive flagging interest in the show, which had been running since 1964, originally with Carol Channing as Dolly Levi. Well, the idea never came to fruition. Thank God for that. Well, here they are from 1948, and it's income tax time. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure, pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last <laughs> drop. And that drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. (laughs) 
With yours truly, Toby Reed, Hans Conried, Gail Gordon, Elliot Lewis, Meredith Wilson and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and Bill Goodwin. For America's Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for America's everyday coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. Today, more Americans buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee at any price. Yes, Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. Well, George Burns is one of the millions of taxpayers who has until midnight tonight to file an income tax return, which explains the tense situation as we look in at the Burns home. Now, let's see. Figuring our income on the basis of the community property law, that would make... What law, George? The community property law. That's a California law that says half of everything I've got is yours, and half of everything you've got is mine. Oh? Then how come I only get one-fourth of the money we make? Well, that's the way it works out, dear. Look, I'll show you. Here in my hand is a dollar and change. Yeah. Now, half of everything I've got is yours. So here's 50 cents. Ah, thank you. Now, half of everything you've got is mine. How much have you got? 50 cents. Half of it is mine. Hand it over. (laughs) There. See how it works? I see who it works. Try that again, and this time I'll start with a dollar. Okay. Now, half of everything I've got is yours. So here's 50 cents. Thank you. And uh, how does the second part go? Half of everything you've got is mine. How much have you got? 50 cents. Half of it is mine. Hand it over. (laughs) Here. Thanks. You were right, George. It comes out the same way no matter how you do it. Oh, sure. Now, I'll bet you get tired of me being so stupid, huh? Now, sometimes it comes in real handy. <laughs> now, let me figure some of the income tax deductions. Let's see, business expense. Now, what does that mean? Well, whenever we have a guest star on our program, we always take him to dinner. That's a business expense. Let's see, now we took Cary Grant to dinner. But he paid the check, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right, he did. Well, we took Bing Crosby to dinner. He paid the check, remember? Yeah, that's right. Well, last week we took Jack Benny to dinner. That's one for us. <laughs> yeah. Now we come to dependence. Total dependence and partial dependence. Gracie, what do I usually call your mother? Surely you're not going to put that in writing. <laughs> uh, I don't mean that. Does your mother live on just the money we send her? Oh, she does right now. You see, my brother Willie got a job as a soda jerk, but he had to quit. Why? Well, a customer told him to squeeze a glass of orange juice. Well? And he squeezed the glass so hard it broke and cut his hand. (laughs) He's uh, he's some soda jerk. In fact, you can leave off the soda. (laughs) Now, let me finish this tax return. Uh, Come in. Hi, Burnses. Hello, Bill. Hey, what are you doing, George? Uh, trying to figure out my income tax. And I'm helping him. Some help. If it weren't for Gracie, I could figure my income tax out much easier. If it weren't for Gracie, you wouldn't have any to figure. <laughs> Listen, Bill, uh, you know, I used to do all right. When I first met Gracie, I worked alone. So she told me, George. Did you ever pay the loan back? <laughs> better run 
along, Bobby Clark. I'm very busy. <laughs> Listen, George, why don't you hire an income tax expert to do that for you? Now, the guy I've got knows all the deductions an actor can make. He's wonderful. Really? Sure. Takes off your entertainment, your publicity, your transportation, even takes off your clothes. George can undress himself. <laughs> I doubt it, Grace. Look, I'll prove it. I hoist that <laughs> And you know something else, George? If an actor hires a secretary to answer his fan mail, that's deductible. Well, I keep a secretary running all the time. You do? Yeah. One of these days, I'm going to catch her. <laughs> In other words, uh, you don't get enough fan mail to answer. What? I get baskets of fan mail. Well, some of it even comes with just my initials on it. W.H.G. William Horace Goodwin. Oh, no. Woman's heavenly gift. That's really a shy little boy. Yeah. Well, he's got a point, George. Yes. I think Bill is one of the handsomest actors in Hollywood. Me? Well, sure, and I know someone who thinks you're even better than that. Me? That's the one. <laughs> See you later. Goodbye, Bobby. I'll never get this tax return finished. It's so darn complicated. Oh, look, George. Here comes Mr. Judson, the Texas oil man. Oh, fine. Now I'll have to stop and listen to him brag about Texas. Come in. Howdy, little lady. Hello, Mr. Judson. Howdy, little man. Hi. Say, you sound kind of depressed. I am depressed. Right at this moment, I hate taxes. Why, you miserable little Yankee. Oh, Mr. Judson, put down that gun. He said taxes, not taxes. (laughs) Oh, oh. For a minute there, I thought you had spoke treason. (laughs) But, but, now, you hadn't ought to hate taxes, neither. I don't, Mr. Judson. It's just making out the return I hate. I'm glad to send my money to the government. Me too. It's a privilege to send your money to a city that's named after that great Texan, George Washington. (laughs) Uh, What makes you think George Washington was from Texas? Wasn't he the father of our country? Yeah. Wasn't he first in war and first in peace? Yes. Wasn't he the greatest man we ever had? Yes. Bound to be from Texas. Took his little hatchet and chopped down the cactus tree. Little George. Mr. Judson, I'll bet your income tax must be plenty with all your money. All what money? I only got twenty-nine million. Oh, I I thought it was twenty-eight million. Yeah. Well, now my wife ran into a mite of trouble down home. Yeah. Yes, she did. The other night she was milking the cow, missed the bucket, a big stream of milk squirted into the ground, and up come another darned all well. <laughs> Call that trouble? Why, it got oil all over old Bossy. Oh, Bossy. You have the cutest name for your wife. <laughs> the cutest? tax return, George? No, I ran out of ink. So I called the drugstore and uh, they're going to send over a bottle. Good. 
By the way, that, uh, that ink bottle was full last week. Where did it go? Well, uh, you know the blue socks I gave you for Christmas? Yeah. And your tan shoes didn't match them? Yeah. Now they match. <laughs> Gracie, you didn't. Yes, I did. I was a fool to think you didn't. Go call the drugstore and tell them to hurry with the ink. Yes, dear. Why do I always leave this income tax till the last minute? Uh, come in. Mr. Byrne? Yes? I'm the delivery man from the drugstore. Good, good. I've been waiting for that ink. I just started today. In fact, you're my first delivery. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm so happy with this job. <laughs> you know why I'm happy with this job? It gives me a chance to help humanity. I deliver things that people need. I need ink. Now, take this bottle of liver pills. I figure that's going to help somebody's liver. Nice figuring. <laughs> I'm so happy with this job. <laughs> that you're happy. Have you got my ink? You bet I have. I deliver things that people need. Now take these corn plasters. Likely as not, they'll help somebody's corns. Again, you figured it out. I'm so happy I'm with right. that. There's nothing in the whole world as wonderful as working for a drugstore. What business are you in, mister? I'm on the radio. Go to work for a drugstore before it's too late. <laughs> I'll speak to Mr. Owl in the morning. <laughs> Drugstores have things that people need. Now take your bottle of ink. I'd love to. <laughs> Just think of its possibilities. You could write a famous play or an immortal poem. I could if I had the ink. Maybe, maybe you'll write a cheery note to one who is ill. Maybe. Or a love letter to a beautiful woman. I happen to be married. Oh. <laughs> then if you wrote a love letter to another woman, that would cause trouble. You bet it would. Your wife might find the letter in your pocket. That's right. And when she read it, she'd get mad and leave you. Look, man. And all because the drugstore made me deliver this ink. Look, well, they can't force me to come between the man and his wife. I won't do it. I'll quit this lousy job. All right, but give me the ink. And break up your home never. There. Your home is saved. <laughs> well, that's fine. Now these shoes match my blue socks, too. <laughs> Also, the rug and the walls. George, I thought I... Oh, oh, my goodness. There's things splashed all over the place. Had a little accident. Oh, there are even a couple of ugly blue spots on your face. Here, I'll wipe them off. Take it easy. Those are my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, I can't. Take this income tax stuff down to the expert in the TAD building and let him figure it out. And here's 50 bucks to pay him. I'll go get a mop and clean up this mess. Well, $50 just to make out income tax? Oh, that's ridiculous. I can buy one of those dollar tax books and do it myself. That'll save George $49. You think what he could buy was $49? Hat, gloves, shoes, coat. Why, he can buy me lots of things. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> 
wonderful news for you. What is it, Gracie? Well, you know those treatments you've been giving me where I lie on the couch and tell you all about myself? Psychoanalysis, yes. I treated your mind. Well, you certainly helped me. How could I miss? Any change was found to be an improvement. <laughs> oh, you, you'll be proud of me. I, I just did a brilliant thing. I figured out George's income tax. Well, you are cured. No more of those long hours on the couch. And guess how the income tax came out? The government owes George $30 million. <laughs> I'll arrange the pillows on the couch. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not tired. Gracie, how did you arrive at that terrific figure? Oh, uh, no starches and lots of exercise. <laughs> I mean, George's income tax figure. Oh, well, I, I bought a book on income tax and found out all the deductions. Now, for example, the book said that an actor can deduct up to $500 for dues. Yes? Well, in California, we have dues every morning. <laughs> Gracie. And at $500 of dues, that adds up. Gracie, these dues are not the liquid kind. Oh, no? I've stood knee-deep in California dues. <laughs> well, even with deductions like that, how could you possibly arrive at $30 million? Oh, well, of course, the big item was entertainment. The book says if an actor entertains people in the course of his business, that's deductible. And it's the rate of $2 per person. Well? Well, every time George goes on the radio, he entertains 20 million people. <laughs> This is unbelievable. Well, now, that, that's $40 million right there. But I know the government needs money, so I knocked off $10 million. Well, it's awfully nice out here. Yeah, live and let live. <laughs> $30 million is plenty. Do you realize what this will mean to George, Doctor? Yes, I think I do, Gracie. Speaking as a psychiatrist, I would say that George will develop a pronounced isolation complex induced by extended incarceration and complicated by severe claustrophobia due to prolonged inability to alter his environment. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? They'll throw him in the clink. <laughs> the clink? Yeah, they'll put him in Alcatraz. You falsified his tax form. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is terrible. But he's not to blame. Let them send me away to wherever they send women. The Hatchapee. Gesundheit. <laughs> Thank you. It's George's return. Therefore, they'll hold George responsible. Well, how long will they keep George in Alcatraz? Oh, it's hard to say, Gracie. I know a man who defrauded the government of only $20. He was sent away for 20 years. 20 years for $20? And yeah. in George's case, it's $30 million. Boy, will he be old when he gets out. <laughs> Welcome on the orchestra, Stanley Steamer.
Gracie. I, I came as soon as I got your call. What's the trouble? Oh, Bill, it's terrible. I falsified George's form. What's so bad about that? You've been patting his shoulders for years. Oh, no, no, no. It's his income tax form. And they're going to send him to Alcatraz. Oh. Think what Alcatraz will do to George. Think of him with his face all pale and his little shoulder stoop shuffling along with that hopeless dead expression. Yeah. And then think of him after a few years in Alcatraz. Yeah. <laughs> George can escape. Oh, I doubt it, Gracie. It's an island in the Pacific. On, on one side is an ocean full of sharks. And what's on the other side? San Francisco. It's San Francisco. Yeah. That's where my mother lives. Say, that's right. Well, if George ever escapes, I know which way he'll swim. Oh, me too. I hope the sharks don't get him. <laughs> I hope he never tries to escape, Gracie. They've got a terrible punishment for prisoners who do that. Yeah, what is it? They take away their Maxwell House coffee. Oh! <laughs> Rich, delicious, mellow Maxwell House, so wonderfully satisfying, good to the last drop. You know what happens then, Gracie? They go stir-crazy. Stir-crazy? Yeah. They go crazy because they can't stir that Maxwell House coffee. Ooh. <laughs> Very best in coffee-drinking pleasure... Yet it costs but a fraction of a penny more per cup than the cheapest coffee you can buy. Oh, I'm sure George will behave himself, Bill. You know, they might even let George sing to the prisoners. No, Gracie. Taking away their Maxwell House coffee is the worst punishment they allow. <laughs> That's fiendish enough. You know, with more than a thousand brands to choose from, more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world? Well, maybe it's not too late to save George... I'll appeal to the governor. Oh, that won't do any good. Oh, then I'll appeal to his wife, the governor. <laughs> Gracie, nothing can save George from Alcatraz. Oh, dear. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll soften the blow for him. I'll make it sound attractive. Attractive? Well, sure. It'll be like a daytime radio serial. Alcatraz can be beautiful. <laughs> Gracie, it's an island, a prison with bars, a, a big, ugly rock. How can you say that's beautiful? Well, love will show me the way. When you're in love, you can imagine the ugliest thing in the world is beautiful. And I'm in love with George. <laughs> Good luck, Gracie. George? Yes, dear? George, how would you like to live on an island? An island? Yes, in the blue Pacific. Might be nice. An island with palm trees. Yeah. And sandbars. Take away the sand and you've got it. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful place. Once you're there, you just can't leave. <laughs> Holds you in its spell, huh? Did you say spell or sell? <laughs> Spell. Oh, sure. I love the ocean. Would be nice to lie there and listen to the breakers pounding on the rocks. Yes, making little ones out of big ones. <laughs> huh? Oh, you love this island, dear. The change will do you good. Now, for instance, don't you get tired of people always calling you George. I never thought of it. Well, now, on this island, they call you something else. Like what? Like 7293. <laughs> 
Cheer me up. Oh, not at all. Another cheering thought is that Gracie might enable you to escape by sending you a cake with a file in it. No, no, that wouldn't help much, Meredith. You see, George is going to Alcatraz and it's surrounded by water. Oh. Well, you might send a somewhat larger cake with a canoe in it. <laughs> Look, Meredith, will you please tell me... Uh, come in. Is Mr. George Burns here? That's me. I'm from the income tax department. Oh. Oh, goodbye, Seven. Listen, mister, I can explain everything. You see, my wife is... Now, there's nothing to explain, Mr. Burns. I just came over to thank you. Thank me? Sure. Imagine a big star like you taking the time and trouble to write a comedy tax return just to hand us fellows a laugh. (laughs) What a gag that was about the California dues. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like that one? (laughs) Ah, you're a real comedian, Mr. Burns. How do you think of that stuff? Oh, it's just a gift. (laughs) Well, the fellows wanted me to bring over this box of cigars as a token of our appreciation. Thanks again. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, I'll be done. Hand over those cigars. Huh? They're mine, and I'll smoke them if it kills me. Gracie will return in just a moment. There's a crisis here in America, perhaps in your own community, that threatens your children's future. Our educational system is becoming increasingly inadequate. Classrooms are overcrowded, schools are understaffed. Every parent, every American should help. How? By realizing the tremendously important job our teachers perform by giving them your understanding and your support, by knowing personally your children's teachers by joining local groups seeking to improve educational facilities, and above all, by making sure your community has the kind of school system every American youngster needs and should have. And now, here are our stars. Well, Gracie, I've got good news for you. 
Next week, our guest will be Walter O'Keefe. Walter O'Keefe? Oh, he's my favorite comedian. Your favorite comedian? Mm-hmm. Aren't you forgetting me? Oh, oh, that's right, I am. Sure. He's your favorite, too. Yeah, that's what I meant. Good night, everybody. Good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one preferred brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. George and Gracie will be guests on Bing Crosby's Philco Show next week. Be sure to listen. The George Burns and Gracie Allen Show is written by Keith Fowler and Paul Henning. And now stay tuned in for Noah Webster Says, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Stay tuned for Sam Spade next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. A wealthy woman suspects her husband is paying blackmail to someone because her bank account is shy. Shy of $100,000. That's what's next with Sam Spade. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. The non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Uh, This is Sam, Blackleg Spade, the third most dangerous gambler on the Barbary Coast. Oh, Sam, not horses again. Horses, women, and the gaming tables, Abby, the diversions of the elite. Well, divert yourself with this, Sam. The phone company has sent a pink notice. Ah, uh-huh. pay it no mind, sweetheart. We are healed. We have hit the cashier's cage, annexed the pot, broken the bank, and we're standing on velvet. Sam, are you sober? Uh, definitely velvet. Mm. Warm, too. Sam, from where are you calling from? You're wrong, Effie. It's a drugstore. Stay where you are. I'll be right down to deal out my report on the hot hundred grand caper. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. September 19, 1948, to uh, robbery detail, San Francisco Police, Attention Sergeant Walsh, uh, from Samuel Spade, license number 127596, uh, dear Joe, here's the rundown on that hot hundred grand. It started pleasantly enough when my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine, cute little mouse, eased into my private office, closed the door behind her, and leaned back against it with that air of pained resignation, which generally means there's a customer outside that she doesn't approve of but that I'll see her anyway. It's up to you, Sam. She's very well dressed, and I imagine she can afford you. How do you, uh, deduce that? Oh, she dropped her purse. I didn't get time to count it all, but there was a hundred-dollar bill on top. Well, sure, in, Effie. Sam. Go ahead, say it. 
Oh, I don't know, Sam. Sometimes, well, there's just money. No. No, that's one of the reasons I hire you. What's the matter with it? Nothing. That's just it, Sam. She's very good-looking, mm-hmm. cultivated, and very kind and considerate. And she seems sincerely troubled. You mean her act is a little too good? I felt that too, Sam. Thanks, Angel. I'll keep that in mind. Tell her to come in. All right, Sam. Mr. Sage will see you, Mrs. Philcorn. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me, Mr. Spade. My pleasure. Uh, won't you sit down? Oh, thank you. <clears throat> I'm Lorraine Kilcourse, Mr. Spade. It's about my husband, Leonard Kilcourse. Husband? Oh. We've only been married a short time. It was a quiet ceremony at the San Cedro Mission. Mm-hmm. Leonard didn't want to subject me to any publicity. The difference in our ages, you know? You mean you want me to keep it a secret? Oh, no. No, except for the newspapers, of course. Naturally, all of Leonard's friends know. Oh, he doesn't have many, from what I've heard. I thought it strange, too, that such a prominent man should have such a small circle of acquaintances. I met him only a short time before I married him. He's been very kind and absolutely devoted to me, and I suppose I should feel ashamed of myself for for coming to you. But there are so many things about him that are mysterious, and sometimes I... I can't seem to find my handkerchief. Here. Kleenex. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I uh, take it you're not a San Francisco girl. No. No, I met him at a dude ranch. Well, uh, maybe I can clear up some of your mysteries for free. The reason your husband doesn't have many friends is because they keep dropping dead. I don't understand you. Ah, forget it. He's a big public servant. He's built a lot of sidewalks. The streets of the city are paved with his good intentions. His name is on a thousand manhole covers. If the names of his former business associates land on headstones, it's nothing to me. I got my own racket. Well, what? I think my husband is paying blackmail to someone. Uh Uh-huh. And upon what do you base your suspicions, Mrs. K? It started about a month ago. He began withdrawing large sums from our joint account. First was 10000 then then 20000 and last week, 50000 and, and this morning, he closed out the balance of the account. $100,000. Well, he's got it to spend, Mrs. Kilcoy. Well, I, I won't pretend the money doesn't interest me, but what's behind it, Mr. Spade? Each time he withdraws these cash sums, he leaves the house without a word to me. And sometimes doesn't return until dawn. My husband is not fond of nightlife, Mr. Spade. Only a desperate situation could induce him to leave the house after dark. <clears throat> yeah, so I've heard. They say that's how he kept his health as long as he has. All right, uh, you want me to trail him, find out what he does with the money. Just one question. Why'd you pick me for the job? I... I why, your reputation... That's is... local. You say you're new in San Francisco. Well, I, I do read the local papers. Your picture was in only two weeks ago. Yeah, well, that caver didn't help my reputation. I like your look. A nice, honest face. A man I could trust. Well, don't buy that. And I'm sentimental, too. Your picture reminded me of someone who was very dear to me. My brother. Of course, you're nothing like him, really, but but you do look alike. I suppose that sounds like a silly woman's reason. Yeah. What's your address? Well, I have a little place of my own now on the Visadero. The Balboa Apartments near Normandy Terrace? Mm-hmm. You'd better keep in touch with me there. I don't want Leonard to know. The Kilcourse Mansion is at 1316 Clarendon. 1316. He returns from his office around six in the evening. Do you have a car? 
No. I need one? Well, I don't know where he may go. I hear the keys to my car. It's parked in front of the main entrance. A gray Plymouth. He won't recognize the car. My, my, my brother's. Now, about your fee. A hundred bucks now. If I need more, I'll leave you now. I had an uneasy feeling I would need more. The last detective that tried to follow Leonard Kilcourse had hospital insurance. I don't. But I'm a gambler at heart, so I parked Lorraine's Plymouth across the street from the Kilcourse mansion and waited. At 9 and a p.m., Mr. Kilcourse, much, much too old for her, came out the front door and flagged down a taxi. I made an illegal U-turn and followed. The trail ended across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. It was a country club-type building on top of a hill overlooking the bay. It did business under the name of Bernie Nogales' Racket Club. The racket had nothing to do with tennis. It came from two sources. The moans and groans of the customers losing money at the roulette wheels and trap tables. And the glad hand the management threw at my quarry as I followed him in. Mr. Kilcourt, nice to see you. Since when you go out of the dock? Well, I thought a little nightlife might agree with me, Nogales. Oh, 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 that sounds like you, Mr. Kilcourt. I didn't know you better. I think you was afraid to go out night. <laughs> well, now, I was thinking of buying this place to retire to. Uh, but I figured it'd be cheaper to win it at your roulette table. What's your limit here? Ten thousand. But for you, wide open. The sky. A hundred grand for a starter? <laughs> Any time they got you with hot money, Mr. Keith. <laughs> I'm over the cashier. I sell you the chips myself. <laughs> I didn't have to bother making myself inconspicuous. Everybody in the joint stopped playing to watch Kilcourse while he shoved his hundred grand roll through the cashier's window and scooped up four stacks of thousand buck chips. Make your best speed. All right, you. Spin that wheel. Huh? How much you got there? Twenty-five grand. Any objections? Is that okay, Mr. Nogales? Uh, spin it, Joe. I'm covering through the table first. Okay, sir. Around and round the little ball goes. Fifteen pages, fifteen and the rest. Maybe next time, Mr. Kilgore. Why don't you double up, play the red and the black? Safer. I'll stay with the numbers. Fifty thousand on fifteen. There. Spin it. It's okay, Joe. I'm still covered. Well, it's your money, Mr. Nogales. Number four page. Number four and the red again. Twenty-five grand more on fifteen. Uh, look, Mr. Kilcourse, go on. Enjoy yourself. Take it off your income tax, but please spend those... Spread them out a little there, those chips, huh? Looks bad for the house. What kind of a joint is this? Can't you cover the bets? Okay, Joe. He asked for it. Okay, sir. I didn't wait to see where the little ball went on the last spin of the wheel. I would have made a side bet with any taker that Kilcourse wanted to lose that hundred grand. I would also have made book he knew I was following him. As I left the table and walked out of the club, I braced myself for what usually comes next. There would either be a dead body in the car or somebody would crease my noggin with a sap. But nothing happened. I switched on the headlights and stood in the glare of them for fully a minute, but nobody even shot at me. I flushed the shrubbery. No gunman. Check the ignition wires. No booby traps. 
Driving back to town, I racked my brains in some way to bring them out into the open. I felt like a man with his life savings all on one number waiting for the wheel to stop spinning, which wasn't far from the truth. Not much of a cliffhanger, but the best we could do this week. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. to the hot hundred grand caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Yeah? Uh, this is uh, Mrs. Kilcross's apartment? Yeah. She here? Yeah. Well, uh, can I come in? Yeah. Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is this is the detective I was telling you about, Tommy. Remember? Yeah. The one who looked so much like you? Yeah. No. Oh, excuse me. This is my brother, Tommy Lane. Yeah. I mean, uh... Tommy, won't you run down to the corner and buy me some cigarettes for about 20 minutes? I have something to talk over with Mr. Spade. Yeah. Nice boy, your brother. Small vocabulary, but big feet. He's shy. Now, what did you find out about Mr. uh, My husband, Mr. Spade? He uh, dropped a hundred grand in a gambling joint. Ernie Nogales' racket club. You know it? No, but I know Ernie Nogales. I knew him in Reno before I met Leonard. He lost his license there for running a crooked wheel. The way Kilcross is playing tonight, that wheel didn't have to be crooked. He was trying to lose that hundred grand. But why? Why would he do a thing like that? One of two reasons. Either he's paying off to Nogales or he's paying off to somebody else and Nogales is the go-between. Well, I don't believe it. Ernie is a crooked gambler, but he doesn't touch blackmail. And your husband isn't stupid enough to drop a hundred grand in three turns of a wheel. Anyway, I'm not tangled with him and or the Ernie Nogales mob for a hundred bucks of your money or anybody else's. Here, take it. Well, but... Here are your car keys. No, no, wait, please. You can't desert me now. Why not? Well, I haven't told you everything. I'd hoped I wouldn't have to. About your brother? How did you know? The only place you get a green suntan is in a pokey. Besides, the act's kind of stir-crazy. Spent a little time in solitary, didn't he? He won't talk about it. But that's it, Sam. That's why Leonard is paying that blackmail money to Nogales. You just said Nogales wouldn't touch blackmail. Any other corrections you'd like to make in your copy before we proceed? Yes. Well, I might as well tell you everything. Why not? I knew when I came to you this morning that my husband was paying this money to Nogales. I knew... Because I asked him to. You and Ernie Nogales are working together? I'm not that rotten. I didn't say you were, but you're a rotten liar. There's that much in your favor. But I'm telling the truth now, Sam. You must believe me. Everything that has happened is my fault. I persuaded Nogales to give my brother a job in his place in Reno. Mm -hmm. They quarreled, and when he got closed down, he, he blamed Tommy. He swore he'd kill him when he got out of prison. That's why I begged my husband to pay him to save Tommy's life. Who did write on Nogales about that crooked wheel at Reno? I did. That's why I feel responsible. Leonard is so fine, so so generous. But I can't let him go on paying for my mistake. Yeah, like you said, he's going to run out of money. 
Look at me, Sam. Do I look like the kind of a woman to whom money means everything in the world? No, but you're looking at me, not at Kilcourse. You're laughing at me. I know what you think. Perhaps I did make a mistake in marrying Leonard, but he was so kind, so considerate, like my father. Everybody reminds you of your relatives. You don't believe my story. Well, since you asked. Well, all right, then. Here's the truth. I'm really Jack the Ripper's granddaughter. My parents were terribly wealthy. I harpooned my mother in her Beverly Hills swimming pool, set fire to my father with a $50,000 negotiable bond, and eloped with John Wilkes Booth. That brings us up to 1865. Shall I go on? Don't stop. It's great. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here and leave me alone. After you've told me all your secrets, I'm not that right. You won't help me. Never intended to. Why go on? Torturing. Oh, now, stop that. Please, please. I, I believe you. I believe all your stories. Now, uh, what is my next smart move? Sam, the only way to stop Ernie O'Gallis is to prove that he's running a crooked wheel. Let me pay back all that blackmail money, and, and he wouldn't dare lay a hand on Tommy. Well, it's going to be hard to prove and expensive. Oh, but... I'll have to lose a little on that wheel before I can figure the way it's rigged. How much can you invest? Well, I, I have about a thousand dollars of my own. With you? Yes. Here. You take it. Mmm. Smells nice. Sam. Yeah? Sam, after all this is over and after I've put things to right with Leonard, I should have told him before this, but I owed him so much. I... Oh, Sam. I'm so glad it's you. Yeah. Me too, Angel. Go now, darling, before I beg you not to. What time does that joint close? Well, well, it runs all night, I think. Good. Let's stay up late and raid the icebox. Around 2 in the a.m., when I low-geared the Plymouth up the long, steep driveway to Ernie Nogales' racket club, backed into the parking space nearest the road with a car headed downhill for a quick getaway, just in case, and I went in. The joint was still going full blast. I bought 500 bucks worth of chips, swag it over to the table where Kilcourse had dropped his 100 grand and nonchalantly flipped the blue chip onto the red. Happily ship it, ladies and gentlemen. Make your game. Okay, that's all. Around and round the little ball goes. I didn't look to see where the little ball went. Most of the money was on red, so it was bound to turn up black. A red, please. What? Number 15. Raise your best, please. Make your game, ladies and gentlemen. The chips were spread around more the next turn, so I stacked 100 at the bottom of the 1 to 34 column. With a crooked wheel, my 100 made it the best bet to lose. And 19, and the red wins again. I plunked 500 down on number 5 and raked in 17,500. I left my original bet on the table. When the little ball fell into the pocket, I was 35,000 bucks to the good from my point of view, but not for my clients. I doubled my bet and looked apprehensively around. There were no surly characters edging up behind me. In fact, the only surly character in sight was Ernie Nogales, and he looked happy. That didn't make much sense. When my bankroll got to 105,000, I played a hunch. I threw five grand of it back on the table and lost it. That made a kind of sense. I cashed in the rest of my chips and squeezed the hundred grand U.S. currency into my inside pocket. If anybody aimed for my heart, it was thick enough to stop the slug, which was some comfort. 
But what I saw when I walked out to the parking lot was no comfort at all. I'd gotten just a glimpse of it through some trees. A sedan backed into a driveway halfway down the hill. It was blacked out except for five glowing cigar ends that showed through the windows. I can think of only one reason for five cigar smokers to be parked in that particular spot at that particular moment. The Plymouth is where I had parked it, pointing straight down the hill. I slammed the door but didn't get in. And I listened. The car down the hill was getting ready, too. I cracked the door of the Plymouth wide enough to get my arm inside and pressed the starter with the heel of my hand. I switched on the lights, pushed the clutch with my left hand, used my right to shift it into low, then I pulled the hand throttle out all the way and let it go. Talk, no, Gallus. Please, don't wave that heater. It makes me nervous. I don't like God. I don't either. That's why I'm here. Put your hands on top of the desk and keep them there. All right. Give me back that roll. I give you clean money for it. It was a gamble, so I lost. And you blame me? Where'd you get this money? I buy it. Fifty cents on the dollar. I don't ask where it came from, but I read the papers. I figured it was that ship row, that shipyard payroll job a few days back. Like it just fell in my lap. I figured you'd make 50 grand instead of kill course five. I guess that was dirty trick you just out of stir, Tommy. Huh? I got news for you, Nogales. I didn't know this money was hot, and I'm not Tommy Lane. No? Then what? Private Dick. Tommy's sister hired me to take the fall for him. Look, I uh, got most of the caper. Kill course wanted to pay Tommy 100 grand. You rigged the wheel so Kill course would lose it one night, and Tommy would win it back the next night. Now, uh, what was Kilcross paying him off for? No caper, legitimate. He was sent up for bribing a public official. You mean he was the payoff man for Kilcross's contracting firm? Sure, legitimate business. The grand jury went out after Kilcross. Tommy took the rap, that's all, for a price. Yeah, a hundred grand. Thanks, Nogales, that's all I needed. I might be too late. You are, sweetheart. Oh, I have so many things to explain. Where, 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 where can you talk? Right in here. But who's this man? Well, that's your old sweetie from Reno, Ernie Nogales, remember? What's the matter with you two? You oh, crazy? Oh, Sam, I should have told you the truth from the beginning. Check. Well, Nogales, Jan, I can understand, but why did you tell me you were Kilcross's wife? I was desperate. I had to say something. It was the only explanation I could think of for my interest in this case, yeah. but I'm telling the truth. But you were making a pigeon out of me. I don't know about such things, Sam. All I know is I'm here in time to warn you. You mustn't walk out of here with that money. Listen. They may kill you to get it back. They already did. They're what? combing the wreckage of that car right now, looking for my body. <gasps> then Tommy was right. They did mean to kill him. How did he get the room? While he was in prison, from another man that killed Cors framed. He was in for life, so it was safe for him to talk. Hey, you. Oh. Yeah, Nogales? That car that just drove up. I think that's Mr. Kilcoss. Oh, I... Hey, what's your hurry? Don't let me go. Come on, what's your hurry? Tommy's out there in that cab. I've got to warn him. Or tip off Kilcoss. Which is it? No, Sam, you've got to believe me. Sit down. Stop that. You two have fun. I'm getting out of here. Go ahead. Now, uh, listen, sweet Lorraine, you may as well save your breath for those explanations. You're staying right here until the cape is all wrapped up. Here he comes. 
hang of it from Sam. Yeah. Well, you do better have it ready. Mm-mm. But Sam. Where's O'Gallis? I want to see him. Uh, he was called out of town, sir. I'm in charge. Uh, you must have killed Cross. That's right. I want to know why you people have been interfering with my business. It might interest you to know that this building site's on an old Spanish land grant. Title's very shaky. I'll run an eight-lane highway straight through the middle of it and turn the rest of it into a game preserve. That's what I do to people who double-cross me. I tried to tell Mr. Nogales that, sir. He wouldn't listen to me. He tipped Tommy off for a split of a hundred grand, but I knew sooner or later we'd have to answer to you, Mr. Kilcoss. Oh, what's that? Here's your hundred grand, sir. Count it. Well, 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 well. What's your name, son? Sam Spade, sir. I'm glad to meet an honest lad. Well, come along. Are you too, young lady? We'll all walk out together. Sam, what are you doing? Uh, Spade, huh? Yes, sir. I'm a private detective, but I'm ambitious. Hmm. Politics? Uh, yes, sir. Well, we'll run you for assembly. In the meantime, I believe there's an opening in one of the public services. Garbage disposal. Executive end, of course. Where the devil is that man with my car? Oh, there he is. Now, you drop around to my office in the morning. Thank you, and good night, Mr. Kilgore. Yes. Drive on, Horace. Back to the city. Oh, Sam. How could you? Hmm? All those lies and, and just handing over the money like that. It, it wasn't yours. It wasn't Tommy's either, sweetheart. Get in. Well, Tommy, are you all right? Yeah. Drive us across the bridge, Tommy, will you? Yeah. Tommy. Yeah? Tommy, I'm afraid we'll have to do without the money. Yeah? Sam gave it to Mr. Kilcourse. Yeah? Now, now, don't get excited, Tommy. I'm sure Sam had a reason. Didn't you, Sam? Yeah. I mean, that was marked money from a payroll job. Oh, then it won't do him any good. It'll send him up for a good long stretch of the eyewitness story that goes along with it is good enough. And you're just the girl to tell us, sweetheart. Am I uh, right, Tommy? Yeah. <laughs> Already? But Sam. Yeah? What happened? Who were the five men in the car? The ones who shot at that Plymouth in the mistaken belief that you were in it. Their names are of little account of. He suffice it to say that Kilcourse pointed his pudgy finger at them in the hopes of keeping the charge of attempted murder out of his indictment. But I was too clever. I identified them. But Sam, you didn't see anything but their cigars blowing in the darkness. Have you never heard of Sherlock Holmes' monograph on the 49 varieties of tobacco ash, you fool? Oh, but... Sam, Sherlock Holmes is only the segment of someone's imagination. He's a fictional detective. Well? You mean... Oh, Sam, you're tired. Yes, I am. The fact that you're mine, winning all that money. Now, you just sit here and rest. What? Think of the snowy mountaintops and Uh, blue skies. mm. I'll just go and type this one. Snowy mountaintops. Winter sports yet. Not that it made any difference, but how did you guess that she wasn't Mrs. Kilcourse? Simple. Kilcourse didn't recognize her. But Sam, that was after you denounced her. I did no such thing. From the report, Sam and Black and White, quote, Why did you tell me you were Kilcourse's wife, unquote? At that point, you assumed that she was not Mrs. Leonard Kilcourse. I did not. I merely wondered why she had told me. Well, with all the lies she told, you might have assumed anything she said was totally devoid of truth. And I did, sweetheart. I did. Oh. Oh, well, that's a relief. I was afraid for a while she'd taken you in. What's that got to do with the truth? Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart.
Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Sadie Thompson appeared as Lorraine Kilcourse. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tolman and Gil Dowd. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Score composed by Renee Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with sulalanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keep on all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right away. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.